Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. I invite you now to open up your Bibles uh, to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, that can be found on page 1,823, um, as well as Exodus chapter 20, on page 118. Um, I think you'll note on the slides, or if you saw on our social media, uh, we're doing uh, a focus on the fifth commandment. And if you caught it, that's not in Judges chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, um, if you saw that, then you passed the test. It's actually Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Uh, also, just a note, we're continuing in our series on the Ten Commandments. The first in our series was last week, where we introduced the Ten Commandments just generally, looking at how they are things that equip us into grateful living. Uh, the key word that we looked at was freedom. And in defining freedom, we looked at it as more than just um, removal of barriers. It's more than just a freedom from something. So we need that removal of barriers, but we also need something else. We need removal of barriers plus the help from outside. We, we need um, God's grace and God's good rule to help us live into that. So today we're going to be looking at this and how it plays out in the fifth commandment. Uh, before uh, coming before God's word, let's come before him in prayer. Teach us your way, O Lord, and lead us on a level path. Teach us, O Lord, to follow your decrees Equip us to keep them to the end, and give us understanding that we may keep and obey your law with all our hearts. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. We'll start with our reading from Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which was the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win the favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for the good that you do, whether you are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way, do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. And from Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to be focusing on verse 12, but we'll read uh, the whole section here. Honor your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. 
You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So part of the title of our series is also the the second tablet. And and that's in reference to the fact that the, the Ten Commandments are often divided into two different main sections. And for a visual here, the first four commandments are often described as this up and down relationship. They deal with how we relate to God. How do we live in love towards God? But then the next commandments, commandments 5 through 10, go on this horizontal plane. They're all about how do we relate to each other? How do we live in love towards each other? And commandment 5, where we're picking up today, is the first commandment in that second tablet. And thinking of it that way, looking at the first commandment in relation to how do we treat each other, I want us to think, if you had an opportunity to come up with the first commandment, the most important one, let's say, in how to treat each other, what would that commandment be? There's, there's different suggestions out there on the, the types of commandments, what should be our first and most kind of primary ones for living in this world together. Um, some people have suggested treat others as you'd like to be treated. That's not a bad place to start. It has this really broad way of of focusing its attention. This this impacts every single person that we meet. Uh, Another person noted um, that it could be do not condemn people on the basis of their ethnicity or their color. So it's a rejection of of racism and, again, uh, a call that we should live in harmony with all peoples from all different places. Other suggestions could be uh, maybe more located in our culture, that, that we are people that have to have a, a freedom in the things that we say or, or a freedom and choice to do the things that we would like to do. There's, there's lots of different options for what we would bring as the first commandment, um, but I'm betting that a lot of us might be surprised then to find what is used as the first of the commandments in how we relate to one another. The Bible gives a different place than many of us would start in saying, honor your parents, honor your father and your mother. And we might think, why? Why start here? It seems so so narrow in comparison. It's just kind of applying to two people in your life. You'd think you would start with something that's much bigger. One of the reasons for this is because the Bible is concerned with family as a place that is central and pivotal for our formation as people. That this is a place where we are formed and that it affects how we are to relate in every other place as we go. This is the place where we are affected most deeply. I remember in the beginning of the pandemic, uh, quoting someone a couple of times, about how we affect change in our culture, that we needed to think small, 
rather than thinking big. Um, contrary to popular opinion, cultural change doesn't actually happen on this large scale. You can, you can transmit culture in this broader scale, but to actually affect change, to do something new and different, it has to start in the smallest places possible. Now, we were thinking about this in the beginning of the pandemic, as we are, were called to stay closer into our little households or whatever smaller units we had. We were called to be intentional in our spiritual formation. We were encouraged to think small. And here we have in the fifth commandment the same sort of idea here. The first commandment of the second tablet starts small. It starts with family. Honor your mother and your father. It's a recognition that this is a, a vital part of how we change. And looking at the history of, of Israel and where they are right now, this is in Exodus chapter 20. This is right after Israel is rescued from Egypt. They are looking at a major change that they're having to look at in their society. They're having to look at a new identity away from slavery, away from the harmful systems of oppression that it knew in Egypt. And they're going to have to change from that in focusing in on these smaller units that they're accountable to, these places of formation. To go back to the visual here, now that they had been freed from slavery, there was no more of the, the binding and the restriction that they had as slaves, but they needed something. God needed to give them a context and a place for their formation, and family is seen as one of these graces that God provides, this site of formation for the people to live into that freedom that they were meant for. Now, for all of us who are children or have been children, I'm betting that's most of us, uh, we probably have asked this question at some point, why do I have to honor my parents? And I think a good place to start in answering that is looking at the reasons maybe that the Bible doesn't point towards to answer that question. The Bible doesn't say to honor your parents because you owe it to them. You don't honor them because they've done lots of for you, done lots for you and you need to do something in exchange. It's not that type of relationship. It's not because of a mystical tie that we have because of DNA or that we have some obligation to our parents because we, we share similar genes. It's not because that they're perfect or they have it all figured out. We honor our parents because that is the setting that God has given for how to learn how to be God's people. Again, this is about formation. This is the Ten Commandments are about learning how to live under God's rule. This is right after this covenant agreement that's made in Exodus chapter 19 where they agree that we will be your people. And then we get this example of how they are to do that. And I think that it's significant that the setting for this is the family. They, they don't go to... Moses or Aaron or Miriam or the, the leaders, the, the professionals, and kind of farm out the training of the children to someone else. They see that this formation of the person happens 
in these closest relationships that we have, the families that they were provided with. And the first word towards how we live with each other, the first command in uh, the second tablet honors this. It honors this relationship that we are meant to have in our families. Now, one of the biggest aspects of honoring our father and our mother has to do with authority. Namely, we have to recognize someone else's authority. It gives this base understanding of how the world works. There's different systems of authorities that we will run into throughout our lives, from the governments to schools to church. There's varying levels of authority that we come across in our lives. And we learn to deal with this first in the family context. This in itself, I think, gives us um, a bit of a nod towards the freedom that we get in the Ten Commandments. We learn in our families that we are not the sole authority in our life, that we need others. And and in our cultural context, there's a bit of a contrast to that. We're told that freedom is found when you claim authority for yourself and just follow your own desires, the, the things that you have come up with on your own. If you do that, then you may be happy. But as we noted last week, that these these desires that we have, if it's just freedom from things, that that doesn't actually drive us towards that wholeness that we sometimes hope. We remember that it's in the context of family that we've always needed others. And this can be something that's profoundly freeing. Uh, we, We can see that the burdens that we have, that they're not ours alone to bear, that we have others that can carry it with us. There can be something freeing in having others in authority to help guide us and help us through in the midst of this world. As the sermon title states, this is a freedom to not be in control in a world that longs to have control over every single thing and that that full control is what gives you a sense of freedom. We have here a freedom to have others guide us in their authority. And we might have a hard time with that sort of idea. We like to be self-starters. We like to have our identity and the value that we have through the things that we have done. I think that the modern world finds this idea of authority just in general to be offensive. You might come to this command of honoring our parents and fight back with the appeal that we need to be our own persons. Don't don't box me in. We can buy into this lie that we are islands, that, that we have come from nowhere, that we have no origin outside of ourselves. That this first command acknowledges that you don't just create identity on your own. We are formed in the context of family. We want to think that we came up with our own ideas, our own value systems, but these are all passed down to us somehow. The commandment requires that you remember that you don't discover who you are on your own or in isolation. Freedom comes in giving ourselves to others and for others and seeing our identity is bound up in relationship to other people. 
And, and notice, too, uh, we've been focusing a little bit on that language of family, but this extends far beyond just our family relationships. When we look at the, the Heidelberg Catechism, it, it extends this idea of authority to all other places in our lives. So to get a sense of what's in the Heidelberg Catechism, just a reminder for those of you who are new to this, um, the Heidelberg Catechism is a summary of Christian teachings, and we're going to be turning back to it um, in the next couple of weeks each week uh, to help us in understanding the teaching on the Ten Commandments. I'm going to read the question here, and I invite you to read the answer as it's dealing with the Fifth Commandment. What is God's will for you in the fifth commandment? That I honor, love, and be loyal to my father and mother and all those in authority over me. That I submit myself. Also, patient, failings, through, through them, God chooses to rule. Notice in here that it expands what is directly in the commandment, that it goes towards all of those in authority over me. It looks at the intention that is in the commandment itself, that we learn to live under those that God has appointed to be over us. And this is a hard thing for us to do. I think it's especially hard to do today because our culture can be pushing us the other way. Uh, so I was listening to a podcast just this past week uh, to a biblical professor named Wesley Hill, and he was talking about something called the myth of individual freedom. And he was talking about this myth that we have in our culture, that freedom comes to being free from any restrictions that are out there. And this includes free freedom from the restrictions that come in, in having relationships with other people and, and getting closer with others, how that can be seen as something that ties us down and prevents us from being the full persons that we want to be. We want to be free from and, and to be able to set our own schedules, to move wherever we want to. We want to be free from anything that can hinder us towards this self-actualization from doing whatever we want whenever we want. And he was reflecting on this in light of his own uh, life situation. So he saw himself uh, called to live as a single celibate person who never would get married. And this position kind of gives him a unique place to think about the importance of friendship. He even wrote a book called Spiritual Friendship, that calls people into deeper relationships. Uh, he calls the church specifically to be a place where we cultivate these deep relationships, but that this can be hard because we set up these barriers. We don't want to commit ourselves to other people and the authority that they seem to have in our lives. Now, I was struck by how he ended up doing this or how he tried to live this out in his own life. He, he chose a few of his closer friends, and he actually made a covenant-style agreement with them that, that they would keep themselves accountable, that they would keep themselves um, in close relationship, and part of that would mean that they would stay living in the place 
where they were um, together, and that they had these longer, lifelong decisions. If, as a professor, if he had a call to a university somewhere else where he would have more tenure, where he could work towards self-actualization, maybe it was a better position with more pay, that he actually had these other commitments with his friends, these deep relationships that would kind of tie him down, so to say. And, and he willingly does this because he wants to push back against this sense, this myth of individual freedom. He sees these relationships that he forms as essential for him. There he has brothers and sisters in Christ that he can form these deep and lasting relations with. And by submitting himself to something outside of himself, he recognizes that he is not the sole decision maker. He doesn't have the burden of carrying each choice and making himself, um, making every choice that he makes the things that brings him to happiness or not. He's free from being alone in the world and freed into the deep relationships that mirror what he was made for. Do we have deep relationships like that? Do we have the capacity and the ability to be able to form these deep commitments with each other? Last week when we looked at the catechism, uh, we noted that uh, when we look at these things, that this isn't just somebody making this up, that, that these reflections in here have some biblical qualifications. There's lots of different verses in here, and I, I pointed back towards, um, you can just search this out. You don't need to have a copy of the Heidelberg Catechism in your house uh, because most of us have computers or cell phones. You can just go wherever you search for things and type out Heidelberg Catechism, or as I like to do, the HC, CRCNA. And if you click on that, you can find what we were talking about today. We were talking about question and answer 104, that looks specifically at the fifth commandment. And notice under here, you have all of these verses that show where they're getting these ideas from. All of these different scriptures and references that you're invited to look into and see what is the foundation for some of these things that they are saying. And particularly, we can look at Ephesians 6, 1 through 9 as that's the passage that we also read this morning. Um, if you're on there and you click on it, it will actually take you right there to this passage, and you'll see that it's a pretty good passage for them to pick. It even quotes, um, honor your father and mother. It quotes the fifth commandment directly in there. Now I've lost where I was. Um, Ephesians 6 here is a natural place for them to go to. And we see here um, that Paul, uh, for, for all the reputations that he might have, if you read the beginning part of Romans, he might think that he just thinks we got to throw out the law. Uh, but he's quoting it here as something that the people of God, as people transformed in Christ, that we ought to be attentive to. Now, to get a sense of what's going on in Ephesians chapter 6, 
We should also look a little bit earlier to see what's that context that Paul is talking about. And Ephesians chapter 4 helps to get us there. Um, In Ephesians 4, specifically starting in verse 22, it says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So we have this sense of freedom from. We're putting off the old self and a sense that we are being made new and that we have this new self that we are living into. So it's freedom from something, but also a freedom into a new way of living. And he goes on to describe what this living as the new self is. He doesn't just stop in Ephesians chapter 4, but he goes on. And this is where he turns towards uh, passages like Ephesians 6, verse 2, of honoring your father and mother. Things that recognize that we are not just independent and isolated people, but we exist in the context of others, and that we need this continual formation. And we need this especially in our younger years. We, we need parents to help us. They will tell us to do things that maybe we don't want to do. Or maybe they'll tell us, more importantly, sometimes not to do things that we want to. So I'm, I'm a parent, and I get to see this firsthand now. Um, Annika's 14 months old, and two of her favorite things in the whole wide world are coffee cups and power cords. I don't know why. Those are the two things. It just thinks like, that is what I need to play with. It looks hot and steamy, or it looks like it's coursing with energy. And oh. when we see her run towards these things, we see that her desires are taking her somewhere dangerous that she doesn't see. And the, the authority of the parent in these contexts is to say that this is, this is something dangerous. This could hurt you. The goal isn't making these arbitrary laws as barriers, but things that actually help you live into the flourishing that you are made for. And this might give us some insight to why Paul spells out the gospel message the way he does Not just saying that we are free from sin and ending there, that we can live how we want now that we're freed from that, we've died to the old self, but we are freed into being people of the new self. As we saw in our Ephesians passage here, you were created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is something that we are created for, that we are made for and meant for, that we can live into this through God's equipping. And Paul gives some examples of what this actually looks like. If you you go to Ephesians chapter 5, the first verse talks about how we are called to be imitators of Christ, that Christ is the one who sacrificed for others. And then later in chapter 5, he starts something called the household code, where he goes to very specific examples of how we are to live out this imitation of Christ. So he talks about husbands and wives and how they submit to one another, that they are showing the pattern of Christ and how they relate to each other in their daily living. And then he goes on to say that the same thing is true, 
the same thing is possible for the children and even for slaves, that they can submit in the pattern of Christ. It's in this context that he talks about the fifth commandment. This is a commandment, is another way of ordering ourselves under God's rule. In this way, it's, it's fitting to have it as the first of commandments, or at least the first of that second tablet. It doesn't make it as the first one because it's so broad that it connects to everyone, but it's the one that we need to have that recognizes where our formation is. It's important comes from recognizing the place where we learn to be followers of God. We can get instruction in formal places like Sunday mornings, and we can get teachings coming this way. But ultimately, our deepest formation happens in the context of our relationships, in our day-to-day living, in the midst of our families. So in light of that, I want to finish with a few challenges that might um, direct this in a couple of different ways. First, uh, my encouragement is for each of us to pursue family-like connections. Maybe you're like Wesley Hill, and you won't have a spouse of your own, and you won't have children, what ways can you be showing that you're not just your own, that you are formed by others, and that you can give yourself to one another? For parents, I want to consider how can you be guiding your families? How can you equip your children into following God's goodness? That through what you teach, God's word, but also how you model the living, how you model your relationship with other authorities. Younger children, how can you be honoring your parents? What opportunities do you have to be like Jesus and how you serve in your homes? And older children, uh, children whose parents might be in care facilities. What does honoring your parents look like in this different context? What new opportunities for service come as the power dynamics change, but the call to honor your parents stays the same? In each case, our call is to be a witness to the living into the freedom that we were called for. Not just a freedom from restrictions, but a freedom into the fullness that we are made for. One where we form and carry these deep relationships and where we show love and care for those around us, that we do so in the pattern of Christ. Let's come before God in prayer. Dear Lord, we confess that we don't listen to authority easily. We want to be in control of our lives, and it can be hard to limit ourselves when our culture wants us to realize our, our full potential and do anything towards self-actualization. Help us to see the grace in the limits that we have that we actually need authority, that we need others in our lives to guide us, to teach us, and to journey with us. We pray for all of those who have suffered 
under unjust authorities, where brokenness exists in families, in the places where trust and honor is meant to be, bring healing where there is hurt, and to help us to break the systems of brokenness that sin creates in our families. Show us how we can be a people who take off the old self and put on the new through your work in us. Be our guide as we seek to live into the freedom that you have for us. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.